The world can't function without batteries. Cars, electric and old school, mobile phones, watches, laptops, TV remotes. The list is long and will only get longer. Certain types of batteries could help wean us off fossil fuels. But could we be swapping one environmental disaster for another? Don't tell me it's out of the frying pan and into the fire. Let's get straight to the type of batteries we must be talking about. Lithium? Am I right? Yes, you're right, Sam. It's currently seen as our best option in working towards a post-oil world. Batteries are a key tool in the search for energy efficiency and sustainability. Lithium-ion batteries are the big talking point on this one for sure. But the way in which it is extracted isn't necessarily better than how we mine for fossil fuels. But we'll get into discussing that later. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I also have a lot of interest in other batteries out there. So like sodium iron, alkaline, lead acid, silver oxide, thermal, redox flow and plenty more. Are you sure you're not confusing that last one with shampoo, Sam? (laughs) Maybe one is inspired by another, but whichever way around, we will never know. In this episode of Switching On, we'll be discussing the various batteries and how they're beneficial to today's world. We'll also share the resources that are most abundant on Earth and why it's important to conserve them and which resources could be used in the building of these batteries. So let me introduce myself. Hello, everyone. I'm Mariama Ifode-Bliz, and I'm the Head of Education at the Salters Company and Institute in London. And I'm Sam Yodada, or Sam, and I'm a PhD student at the University of Cambridge in the Department of Chemistry. We know chemists can do everything. And in this episode, we'll be joined by two guests, a scientist at the top of their game on the subject who knows a lot more about it than us, and a student also on the subject who wants to learn how to address these issues In every episode, we will do our best to introduce the main topic under discussion and then pass over to an expert and a student to have a conversation about the past, present and future of the science at the heart of it. And as tempting as it might be for the two of us to just sit and nod along, we'll be joining in with the conversation as well. We are going to be breaking things down for you so you can understand it. So at the risk of embarrassing ourselves, at the end of each episode, we are going to be quizzed by the experts on the key takeaway from the conversations in the expert test. The expert test. Yes, we will, Sam. And even though I really hated exams at school, we will be keeping score every week and throughout the whole series to see who out of the two of us will be the winner of the expert test. And today we're going to be exploring a heap of questions regarding batteries. Some of these are, why is there a need to preserve the energy of batteries in recent years? What are some of the raw materials used to manufacture these batteries and why? And what batteries are currently in research and will they be popular in the future? So it seems sensible then to kick off with this question. Do you remember how a battery works? Like so many incredible things science has brought to us, I imagine most people may not necessarily know about a battery's inner workings. (sighs) Okay, I've got this. 
So batteries work by generating a potential difference across the anode or cathode due to chemical reactions, which allow electrons to flow around the circuits. The energy is stored as potential chemical energy. So far, so good, Sam. I hope. I'm not sure I remember myself, to be honest. I hope I get this bit right about the components of a battery. So, we have an anode where one half of the reaction takes place, which is termed an oxidation reaction. That creates electrons which travel through any device on a circuit to a cathode where another reaction takes place, called a reduction reaction. So, the cathode consumes the electrons, therefore completing the reaction. In rechargeable batteries, this process can be reversed to charge the battery. So, the reaction can be repeated over and over again. Oh, and by the way, the battery's anode is always negative and the cathode is always positive. Anode negative, cathode positive. Right. I think I've got that, and I'm fairly confident that you got that right, Sam. So well done. And if it comes up in the, the expert, expert test, test, I should be getting an extra point. Oh, no, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Sam. So you were discussing components of a battery, but neglected to mention the electrolyte, which is the battery component that transfers ions, charge-carrying particles, back and forth between the battery's two electrodes the anode and the cathode. You still with me? Yes. Causing the battery to charge and discharge. Let's get into the chemistry into more detail. So batteries need several materials. And for example, in alkaline batteries, the cathode is often made from manganese dioxide. Then you have the anode, which is usually made from a zinc metal, and the electrolytes, which is made from maybe potassium hydroxide. Um, but this varies between different types of batteries. Lots of lovely materials from the periodic table there, Sam. But what about lithium batteries? I think now is probably a good time to mention the potential downside of creating them. I've read that actually there are really quite significant issues with lithium. So to power this bright future of batteries, lithium has become one of the most sought-after metals on Earth. But sourcing it isn't easy. Chile contains the largest source of lithium in the world thanks to its enormous salt flats in the Atacama Desert, called the Salar de Atacama. Lying just below the salt visible on the surface is a giant underground reservoir of concentrated salt water. The brine is a deep, rich solution of different salts containing sodium, potassium, boron and that precious lithium. Oh, that's very, very interesting. I think that's the first mention of boron we've had here. I think it's that's right, Sam. Oh, yeah, it's a symbol B on the periodic table. Gosh, I always wondered what that B stood for. <laughs> Not related to boron, but here is a mind-blowing fact. One day of solar energy provided by the sun can power all of the Earth for one year. Wow. We just can't store it. That's the only problem. Or capture it. Um, quite yet. There's talks of creating solar panels in space to absorb sun rays before they get scattered by our atmosphere. That will then be remotely beamed to massive satellite dishes, but that requires using a lot of land. Mm. You're starting to highlight some of the issues I've read about actually, Sam. Methods for creating clean energy and storing it might end up dirtier than we think. But cleaner than fossil fuels, surely? Well, I hope so. But lithium, just like oil and coal, 
takes a long time to form and it needs to be extracted and of course it might be finite. In the Salar de Atacama, water comes down from the Andes in rivers and collects microscopic amounts of minerals. But when the water hits the bottom of the valleys, it gets trapped and much of it evaporates. Now, stay with me because there's still a bit more to say here. Over time, it creates the salt flats and brine below. Now, the ancient brine, some of it up to three million years old, gets pumped out from under the salt crust and channeled into huge ponds where the water is evaporated over many months. Now, if you're still with me, it's important that you know that after over a year, the pale blue liquid becomes concentrated into a yellow-green solution and it is at this stage that we have 25% lithium chloride. So yes, it can be extracted, but it's been extracted faster than it can be replenished. And to pump it out in the first place means using precious fresh water from deep below, which of course affects the plants and wildlife. So very recently, scientists have estimated that between 1993 and 2010, humans have pumped over 2 trillion tonnes of water out of the ground and it has caused the Earth's axis of rotation to actually shift. Wow, okay. That was a lot of information to digest. So we shouldn't be pumping out so much fresh water from underground reserves, right? Right. And that's the issue. We need to think about how we can do this better and more sustainably. And that's why we need to ensure the chemists of tomorrow, wait, I also mean the chemists of today, have the necessary education to figure all this out. I'd like to think they're listening right now and getting inspired. If you're out there, we need you. These issues can be demoralising, I know, but I'm really urging listeners to be driven to find answers rather than curl up in a fetal position because we believe that chemistry can offer the solutions we need, sustainable solutions, to make this possible. I think it's time we got to our young chemist and expert to get this conversation started. And as always, we'll finish the episode with me and Sam going head-to-head in The The Expert Expert Test. Test. But before that terrifying moment, let's welcome our expert joining us today, Dr. Yayan Seymour from the University of Aberdeen, who specialises in energy material research. Hello. Hello, Yayan. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you for coming all the way from tropical Aberdeen to be with us in the studio today. Could you just tell us, I mean, we know a bit about you, but could you tell us a bit more about you and your work for our listeners? Yeah, um, so I'm a a lecturer in chemistry at the University of Aberdeen. And so my research focuses on developing new materials for energy applications, particularly batteries and also a bit on fuel cell research as well. And so a lot of my research involves designing materials and understand the properties of materials in order to make them better. But I'm also very interested in making them more sustainable as well um, going forward. And to do this, I use a lot of different techniques, but I'm very interested in combining computational chemistry techniques with experimental chemistry techniques as well. So both on the computer and in the lab to to do this research. Amazing. Thank you, Yayan. We're also joined here by our student, um, William Terry Wright, who's currently a PhD student at the University of Bristol studying synthetic chemistry. Thanks for having me back. Each episode, 
we ease our guests into the whole process by asking them two questions. The first is, what is your favourite element? We'll start with you, Yain. Um, so I, I really like the element manganese, because um, firstly it's cheap and cheerful, kind of like me, um, but it's also very versatile, it's used in a lot of different really interesting applications, and it's also very important for batteries and fuel cell applications, um, so I think, I think manganese is my spirit element. I'm going to go for bismuth, because it forms really beautiful crystals, and uh, it's not used for much, although I believe it's used in medicine sometimes. I have never heard of that, Will. <laughs> You're such a show-off. You learn something new every day. <laughs> and may I ask, who is your favourite fictional scientist? Oh, um, I don't know if they're technically a scientist, but when I was younger, I really liked James Bond films. But I always wanted to be Q instead of James Bond because he got to make all the cool gadgets and blow things up and make things invisible. Um, so yeah, I think Q uh, Q is my my favourite fictional fictional possibly scientist. And I'm since we're talking about batteries today, I'm going to go for someone who's slightly topical. I'm going to go for Victor Frankenstein. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I love the way you've tied that in. Well, I know. What can I say? <laughs> Amazing. Now that the serious questions are out of the way, let's get into it. So, Will. What's on your mind? What questions have you got for Yayan today? Well, well, we've already had a fantastic intro from you two uh, talking about the, some components of batteries. But I wanted to ask at its most fundamental level, what is a battery? So a battery is a device in which we can um, store chemical energy and convert that energy to electricity that we can use for device applications, so for powering our phone, for electric transport, and also storing, um, storing renewable energy sources such as wind and solar. And so it relies on chemical reactions happening at the electrodes within our, within our battery cell. Um, and the amount of energy we get from, we can store in the battery depends on kind of the materials and the chemistry involved in, in the electrodes of the system. So what's actually going on at the electrode? We, we've talked about some reactions, some uh, types of metals that are used, but what, what's actually going on? Yeah, so it depends slightly on the type of battery you're talking about, but this, the fundamental principles are the same in all cases. So an early example of a battery was where you used copper metal on one side and zinc metal on the other side. Um, and so this is our, our uh, cathode and our anode or our positive and negative electrodes. So when we wire this battery up, what happens is that zinc starts to dissolve at one electrode and it becomes an ion in the solution. So it loses two electrons and zinc goes into the electrolyte. And at the other side of the battery, um, another reaction happens. So either copper ions in the solution plate on the copper metal, or sometimes you get things like the evolution of hydrogen gas. But you have these two reactions that happen simultaneously, and electrons go around the external circuit when these reactions happen, because they can't go through the electrolyte. It's kind of a closed tunnel that stops the electrons from moving, and they go around the external circuit. Is that what... So I don't know if anyone else here has ever done that experiment, and they stick two bits of metal in a, in a lemon, and it generates a... A circuit, or am I the only that's, the only weird one? <laughs> You're the only one who will. I thought just so. That. No, 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 no. That's absolutely spot on. So the lemon battery works in exactly the same way. So you have a piece of copper and a piece of zinc, and the lemon is acting as the electrolyte. 
Um, uh. And so when you hook it up, your zinc is dissolving and you're getting hydrogen gas evolved with the copper. And actually, um, you should check out um, the work by Professor Saiful Islam from the University of Oxford, who actually has the world record for the biggest lemon battery. A battery is really a collection of cells. So the original term for battery was really to do with a collection of individual electrochemical cells. This is, in the true sense, a real battery where you've hooked together multiple lemons to get your voltage. Mm. And you you briefly mentioned there about uh, the acid that's needed to create the the ions, um, and you talked we can all, you said we can also use alkaline batteries or alkaline solutions. Is that what's going on um, in like AA batteries, double AA batteries? Exactly. So the, the common kind of AA batteries you have, the ones that are about 1.5 volts that you use for kind of your channel change and things like that, they're typically alkaline batteries. And um, where for our electrolyte, we have something like potassium hydroxide, as you mentioned earlier. And then we have our electrodes, one being something like manganese dioxide and then zinc on the other side. And um, so in that chemistry, we're not thinking about protons or charged um, hydrogen atoms. We're thinking more about hydroxide ions and the solution mm-hmm. hydroxyls. We've already heard a little bit about um, batteries and how they're going to be important. But what are some kind of key uh, areas in the sustainable future that you know we all, we all envisage? Um, how are batteries fitting into that? Absolutely. Lithium is a fairly scarce resource in the world. So what we really need to do is move potentially away from lithium chemistries and to move to other sustainable chemistries such as sodium, which is kind of a nice analogue for lithium, but is much more abundant if you think about sodium in in seawater. Sodium is really distributed across the world and has quite a lot of the characteristics that we like about lithium that give us high energy density that we can use to make really good batteries. So why is sodium, what are the challenges in making sodium batteries? Because presumably if it was that easy, we'd already be doing it. Absolutely. So in the kind of early days of, of, of battery technology, so the kind of the rechargeable batteries really came into their own in the, the 1970s and 1980s. And when clever chemists came up with the idea of intercalation, where we can move ions in and out of um, the structure of our materials without kind of destroying the structure. They were looking at sodium ion batteries at the same time as lithium ion batteries, and it wasn't clear at that time which one would necessarily win. Um, one of the challenges with sodium ion batteries historically was that on the other side of the battery, so the negative electrode, the anode, sodium, we tend to use graphite as the material for a negative electrode where we have layers of carbon and we can intercalate lithium in and out of those layers. You can't do that with sodium. So sodium um, didn't necessarily have a particularly good anode uh, material we could use, and it meant that you had to use sodium metal. Um, And when we use metal anodes, they tend to have uh, intrinsic safety challenges associated with them, such as as the formation of dendrites and short circuits. So the lack of suitable anode materials meant that actually the development of lithium-ion batteries kind of overtook sodium early on. It was one of the reasons amongst amongst some others. Is that because... uh sodium is much bigger than lithium so it can't insert into the layers of carbon? Not necessarily. So lithium is kind of an outlier here because potassium, which is bigger than sodium, can intercalate into, into graphite. So it's an interesting one that lithium is actually the anomaly here where lithium, because the chemistry, is able to intercalate into graphite. And if you go bigger, you can then again intercalate something. Sodium is sort of a bit unusual in this, in this mix. So talking about sustainability... If I was going to go to a shop, what battery would you recommend me to buy <laughs> to be more sustainable? 
there are trade-offs between different technologies, but at the moment, no single one. You can't say, I'm going to pay a little bit extra for that, really, that free-range battery there. <laughs> um, but it doesn't. there's nothing yet that really ticks all the boxes, but they're moving that way, particularly as we move towards sodium ion batteries. And that allows us to get rid of quite a lot of the more unsustainable transition metals. And why are, this is a bit of a random question, but why are lead acid batteries, the ones we put in our cars, why are they so like big and heavy? Whereas the ones we have in our phones and other ones are so kind of small and light. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So that really comes down to the energy density of the technology. So often we talk about energy density because we want applications where we have high energy, but we also want our batteries to store energy in a small space or be lightweight. So lead acid batteries, lead is intrinsically very heavy, it's very far down on the periodic table. And so the actual energy that lead stores per unit volume is really small, whereas lithium is the lightest metal on the periodic table, it's the third element as we heard earlier. So we get very high energy densities from lithium-ion batteries. Lithium is also very reactive as well, so it gives us a very high voltage. You know this from school where you put a piece of lithium in in a thing of water and it gets kind of all, um, uh, it gets all uh, fizzy. Um, and that's because it's releasing a lot of energy when it's when it's becoming an ion. So the, the energy, the, that gives us a high reactivity, high voltage, that increases our energy, but then also being very lightweight means we can make the batteries very small. Mm-hmm. So why don't we use lithium ions in ion batteries in cars? We, we could do. Um, so in terms of lead acid, for a long time, people thought lead acid would be completely phased out. One of the good things about lead acid batteries is you get quite good power um, from lead acid batteries. You can deliver energy quite quickly, but then we don't use it. We only use a very small amount of energy from a battery. It's really just to start the car. See. And then usually a petrol engine kicks in after that point. It's, they're good for um, giving us power quite quickly. But you could use a lithium-ion battery for, for cars um, as well, but lead has kind of stayed as the technology because mm-hmm. of that, that power. If it's not broken, don't fix exactly. it. Exactly. And also, one of the nice things, what, one of the nice things, one of the things about lead acid batteries is there's been lots of regulations around their recycling. And um, so it's something like 99% of lead acid batteries are, are recycled. So there was significant concerns about the toxicity of lead, but because regulations came in and we thought a bit carefully about the chemistry, it means that actually many of them are recycled and we're just reusing the same materials and that we put in in the first place. Is that not the case for other batteries? Do they get recycled a lot more or a lot less than lead acid? So I think lead acid, I think I'm correct in saying that lead acid is the, the most recycled battery. So between 5 and 20% of lithium-ion batteries are recycled in use. So it's a really small number. Mm. And the same thing with, with alkaline batteries. We throw away something like 15 billion alkaline batteries a year that don't get recycled. So they, there are, is recycling of alkaline batteries, but it's still very small compared to lead acid. Yeah, I think in, um, with, in terms of alkaline and lithium batteries, you have loads of supermarkets which actually do the recycling thing. Because I, I go to like, you know, Sainsbury's and I see a whole box of, you know, batteries which, which you can just drop and recycle. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's something that's really important that we, we do that and we continue to use the materials and recycle the materials from alkaline batteries. But across the world, many batteries still end up in landfill and you really need regulations saying that actually these batteries need to be recycled at the, at the end of their life. And that is starting to come in for lithium-ion battery technology. The EU has introduced new regulations about the recycling of lithium-ion batteries that a certain fraction of the battery will have to be recycled and that fraction will increase over time 
towards the lead acid case. So when we run out of these elements, Yayan, will we have to go to the landfill and start digging up old batteries? I, th- I think we should do that before we, we run out of the elements. So that's kind of this idea of the urban mine is very powerful, that we've kind of spent a lot of time and energy getting these um, materials in the first place. And when they come to the end of life in your car or in your phone, you've got a good source of these minerals um, that we can then recycle and reuse um, again, and the energy cost to do that is usually a lot less than actually getting these materials out of the ground. So it should be the first thing we're thinking of that we should be using the materials from from the landfill. And before we go and try and open new mines or do take the next step and then think about things like mining from the seabed, which is uh, a thought on the horizon. And uh, there's not... We we obviously it's a chemistry podcast. We've been talking about chemical batteries, but there's more types. I've read about um, like uh, molten salt batteries. How do those kind of work? Yeah, so malt, with molten salt batteries, the molten salt bit is really the electrolyte. And so in a molten, there's different types of molten salt batteries, but sodium molten salt batteries are a really kind of promising alternative because we're into the kind of the sustainable sodium territory again. So in a molten one. One application of molten salt battery is to have something like sodium metal as your negative electrode, your anode, um, and then you can have a metal as your positive electrode, so something like um, nickel on the other side. And if we have that in a molten salt, something like basically sodium chloride with, a, with another thing, we can have reactions where the molten salt reacts with our metal as our, as our positive electrode, and we can plate and strip sodium metal on the other side. But we can use fairly sustainable materials. We, we've eliminated kind of cobalt from the system, and we've eliminated lithium from the system. So it really gives us quite a sustainable technology. Although the capacity tends to not be quite as high as the lithium-ion batteries in our phone, it's potentially useful for things like grid storage, um, grid storage applications, where we don't really care so much about the size of our batteries, we just stick them in the ground. Mm-hmm. My last question is, what makes you excited about the research in this area? So I, I think that what makes me really excited about the research in this area is that it's continuously evolving. Although some of the technology becomes more mature, there's always new technology on the horizon um, that will potentially give us higher energy density or will give us more sustainable chemistry. And we can build upon our previous knowledge to design better materials in the future. So really, we from the lithium space, we're looking at using lithium metal as our as our negative electrode and to do that we can use strategies like replacing the liquid electrolyte in current batteries and that's flammable and causes issues with things like solid electrolytes so a piece of non-flammable ceramic and that potentially allows us to really utilize your lithium metal anode for the first time get very high energy densities and so there's constantly kind of the understanding the material science and the chemistry really allows us to push the technology forward but always thinking that we need to do this in a sustainable way. Thank you so much for all the information you provided us with, um, Yayan. Um, Yeah, that was brilliant. It was absolutely amazing. I've learned so much. Just to like kind of wrap things up, um, we just have this thing called The Breakdown, where we ask you to give us a one minute summary of everything you've just spoken to us about. So we can just, you know, have that take home message to just digest. 
Um, so I'd say that lithium-ion batteries are a revolutionary technology that's allowed us to use portable electronics and it's revolutionising electric transport going into the future and, and storage of renewable energy. We're constantly trying to push the um, energy density of these batteries and to allow us to utilise this technology more widely and also do things more cost-effectively and um, more sustainably. We do need to think about the sustainability of the materials that go into our um, into our batteries and really getting rid of some of the more scarce elements such as cobalt in our batteries and replacing these and also hopefully moving away from lithium-ion technology in the future towards more sustainable sodium-based technology but also thinking about how we can recycle materials and reuse them um, in terms of this urban mine. Um, but really this requires material scientists, chemists, physicists and engineers all to work together to really come up with sustainable solutions going into the future. But it's going to be a really exciting um, journey that we're all going to go on as a society. Amazing. Very, very promising. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for that brilliant breakdown, Yayan. Now it's the time we've all been dreading. Well, maybe it's just uh, Sam and I have been dreading. Uh, it's time for us to turn back to our fantastic expert, Yayan, who is going to start asking the questions in... The Expert, Expert Test. Test. Yayan, please be kind to us. Uh, this is your opportunity to test our knowledge. I'm not going to lie, Sam and I are a bit competitive. So, you know, but I'm going to win. Obviously, I'm Sam. Who's in the lead right now? No comment. No comment. <laughs> Yayan, it's over to you. And you have about three or four questions to ask. And uh, we will try and jump in and answer them as quickly as we can. Great. Okay. For the first question, I would like you to name four elements that you'd currently you'd um, often find in a lithium-ion battery. Lithium not being one of them. I've got one: manganese oxide, <gasps> potassium dioxide. So, so lithium-ion battery here. Oh, it's a lithium-ion. Lithium-ion battery. battery. Okay. Cobalt. Cobalt. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Ooh. So you got one each. So there's two more left. Yeah. Who's going to get it? Yeah, Jan, give us a hint, please. You mentioned one of them when you talked about manganese. On the negative electrode, we have a layered structure which is made of... <gasps> Graphite. Yeah, Graphite. warmer. Graphite. Which is what element? Carbon. Great. I'm absolutely so proud of myself for that. Well done. I'll, I'll let you have that one. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so for the second question... Um, I mentioned how many alkali batteries are thrown away each year. I would like both of you to give me an answer and the closest wins. In number or weight? In number. In number? Oh my yeah. goodness. Wow. And that's per year? That's per year, across the whole world. Across the whole world? Yeah. Oh my. I would say close to probably about 15 million? 15 million? Yeah. What's your, your estimate? I would say something like 50 million. So you were correct with 15, but it's 15 billion. Oh! No way! Wow. It's about two per person. Wow. No oh my way. goodness. So am I technically closer? You can okay. have that. Damn, you're feeling very... I'm very generous. I know. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, there's still time. There's still time to get some back. Okay, so for the third, the third question... At the end, I mentioned a type of battery technology that was going to get us potentially closer to using lithium metal anodes as, as our anode. Um, could you tell me what that technology was? Can you give us a hint, Yayan? Um, so 
It's to do with the electrolyte. Oh, electrolyte. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm stumped. Hint, hint, hint. And um, so we could replace it from being organic liquid electrolyte to. Oh yes. To being an actual metal nickel. No, nope, nope. the electrolyte. No, sorry. <sighs> Name another phase of matter. Solid. Exactly. So that's that's the answer. Oh, that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, Great. Okay. So Sam gets one point. Final question for, okay. for all the marbles. Okay. What has been one of the challenges with sodium battery technology historically? Is it in something to do in intercalation? Yeah. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> it was that sodium ions didn't intercalate into graphite well, so we didn't have a negative, good negative electrode. I'm actually sweating. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to have to give this one to our champion. I'm just taking the win with... I'm not competitive, but this expert test brings out the worst in me. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yayan, for joining us today. It's been fantastic to have you here and to learn about your research and also all the work that's going on around making batteries more sustainable. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you to Will for challenging Yayan with some great questions and for really raising the bar in terms of our knowledge as well. And of course my wonderful co-presenter, Sam, thank you. And thank you for being so gracious in defeat. <laughs> and thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us. Make sure you tune in for the next episode of Zwittering On. And if you want to learn more about our work, you can follow us on our socials or go to our website, saltersinstitute.org. Mm -hmm.